Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain, where we make you the complete clinician. Coming at you this week with a solo episode and an unplanned solo episode, as Jared and I just yesterday sat down and probably spoke the most influential words we've ever spoken, yet the lovely tech gods that uh, tend to haunt me decided to not record us. We have these beautiful videos, nice, you know, high definition footage and no audio. So spent a good hour of good talking and got nothing out of it and very frustrated. But nonetheless, I'm going to come on and chat and uh, want to make sure we get an episode out this week for you guys um, and talk about specificity and manual therapy part two. Um, the the first part we spoke about, we shared the study uh, systematic review that showed really, gosh, you know, being specific versus non-specific. We don't have any data to show that. Now, recognize just like the other research we've critiqued over time that a lot of these studies are just grouping averages and means and responses. Are there some people in those where specific techniques may have helped? Probably. And and just like with some treatments, there's some people that even though the treatment doesn't show statistical significance, when we average it over over a group and a population of people, are there some N equals one scenarios where some specific, and we'll talk about what specific means because I think, you know, traditional manual therapy versus what I consider specific and Jared and I consider specific and maybe more forward thinking manual therapy folks who utilize manual therapy think is, is a different animal, but, um, we don't really, I just, research is, is inherently flawed in that to say, and you, we can go into some of the stuff we've talked about and kind of discuss with some of our colleagues at Cause Health and different things where N equals one. Um, there are some situations where we might be able to find some value in some things that don't perfectly fit an RCT or a clinical guideline. Obviously, we're going to let those things drive what we're doing and we're going to ascribe to be as evidence based as possible. But we have to be able to you know, bring that evidence within a clinical encounter and create a narrative with a person that fits with that person in front of us. So. Um, is there a point where spe- specific techniques can be helpful? I would argue yes. And then, and again, anecdotally, we see it clinically where, yeah, I, you know, I can, definitely there are times and let's, well, let's, let's talk about some of the background behind it though. Realize that a lot of the manual therapy folks that came in and, and did theory, Stanley Paris's to Jeff Maitland's and stuff didn't have the data we've had about mechanisms of manual therapy that, you know, folks like Joel Bialowski and colleagues, Steve George and others have um, did a great job and start to kind of show us and kind of publish us and give us some good information on, hey, some of the effects of manual therapy, but a good majority of them aren't really happening at tissue levels. We don't have, um, we have ample studies that show we're not repositioning joints. We're not realigning things. We're not releasing things yet. We do get pain responses and improved movement with um, manual therapy. So there's some benefit of it. It just isn't probably due to the traditional ways that we did. Now with that traditional things and us not having understandings of the spinal cord and the brain and all the things that go into a pain experience, 
we missed that complexity. And, and I don't want to say we never really considered it, but a lot of the considerations that were being made when folks were developing theory early on around manual therapy were all about the tissue. So when, when situations got complex, we didn't have the ability to go up the spinal cord to the brain, or we weren't at least doing it. Um, you know, there were some gate theories and things out there, you know, early on that we probably could have used and helped us better apply manual therapy. But be, with us not able to see the true complexity that we now know as gosh it's a human psychosocial being who has influence influences from a centrally mediated model modifying of that pain experience or that nociceptive input into the um, system um, that we thought well then the complexity must just be able to lie all in the tissues and i think hence that is where we created all these crazily overly complex Jedi hand tricks that we thought, well, and again, humans, we're good at convincing ourselves we're finding things. Um, there's a whole pareidolia and different things that uh, we we fall victim to and some issues that, you know, if we're trying to find some things to explain things, we we tend to find things. Um, so the complexity lied in the tissues. So we had the ability, you know, we were focusing on millimeters of limitations and all these different things that really science hasn't supported our ability to detect those things, but we have people out there. And I was one of these people who just held so tightly to this very specific, you got to get in there and sense millimeters of joint movement because it's, it was what gave us comfort that we knew what we were doing, you know, cognitive dissonance and all these different things that go on when you're getting some of your theories. And especially when you, again, identify yourself as a manual therapist, which I don't recommend you do. I, I, I recommend you identify yourself as a physical therapist who tries to help people and occasionally uses manual therapy when a situation fits for the unique person in front of you. Um, but yeah, so the complexity I think really got to where the, it missed the direction or where the complexity needed to go. The complexity is the human experience around pain um, that, you know, and a lot of the stresses and psychosocial things, we embody those things with muscle tension, guarding and limited movement and things. So, um, but I think again, what we as manual therapists or folks who were practicing manual therapy early on thing, well, that all that stuff that I'm feeling with my hands, it's all due to tissue based stuff. Well, we know now that again, there's a lot more that mediates that response than just at the tissue level. So that's a little bit of background of, okay, what did we do? Why did we get so ridiculously over complex where we got level 16 of a manual therapy program and you got to kiss the ring of the guru to, and get knighted a manual therapist to be good at what, or considered good or able to do manual therapy, which again, we don't teach it that way. And a lot of good programs don't teach it that way either. So, uh, but that's just my frustrated looking back at yesteryear of what I had, what I've saw and what I've maybe gone through a little bit personally myself. Um, but let's look at why maybe specific techniques might be helpful outside of where we know the tissue based mechanisms aren't really holding any water. What about when you are doing, let's say we're doing a UPA CPA assessment at the, and these are simple. If you've been taught Maitland stuff, you're just a little spring testing or, you know, using your fingers to nudge on, you know, laterally or centrally and you find somebody's pain. And we, most of us who are listening to this probably have done this where you've been able to do some things. Oh, God. Oh, that's it. Like, you know, what, okay. You're on my pain. You found it. So I want you to put yourself in a patient's shoes in that situation where the, the therapist has found the pain. Now you can be an evidence-based crazed therapist where you're, well, the systematic review tells me that I don't need to be specific here. I'm going to go four levels away and try to manipulate or do something. Yet the patient and the, what's the patient going to perceive? You were just on it, but now you just went way away from it. And now you're doing something there that makes no sense to me. Now you might be able to do some Jedi explanations and convince them that some magic is happening for four levels away and convince them that that's necessary. But 
Wouldn't it make sense though, that if you were trying to make impact on a patient's pain and you can find their pain with your hands, your best chance of modifying that pain experience is when you're on it, when the patient perceives you're doing something to their problem versus doing something to something they don't associate with their problem. Now, a lot of that's probably top-down things where, hey, and if you can produce an input there, and again, sometimes, you know, traditional mechanisms. Um, one of my mentors, Barb Stevens, talked about uh, where she practiced with Jeff Maitland. She's a brilliant uh, clinician. Uh, Barb is someone to emulate and um, has had an ama- amazing impact on my thinking and reasoning process. But she talked about practicing with Jeff Maitland, where she, she would say sometimes he would just, he, the thought was find the hurt and hurt it. Now it sounds pretty archaic. sounds pretty, you know, a little bit more pain inducing than not, but that's truly what we're doing a little bit when we find some of that sensitivity and we start purposefully nudging on it. Now we don't need to hurt it like we're blasting into it, but maybe we produce an input that the patient can is, can desensitize to, or the patient can start adapting to, to where, Hey, what was previously very sensitive when you started nudging on, Hey, as you're doing it. And Hey, Mr. Smith, as I'm doing this kind of repeated pressure, I'm going to just kind of see as we place this kind of back and forth, just nudging into that sensitivity. I want you to tell me how it's doing. So we're, we've been doing it for about 30 seconds now, Mr. Smith, as we're, as I'm nudging on here, does that sensitivity seem to be staying the same or changing now? If it's changing, Hey, Boom. We're showing condition pain modulation. We're showing some of those um, mechanisms that we are more confident of that are happening from a top-down mode. And a lot of that can be modified by how confident you are, how good your hands are as far as not Jedi ascribing millimeters, ability to detect millimeters of dysfunctions and what the hell those are, who knows. It's being able to just very put a, you know, and you've maybe had a massage before where the person was just, you could just tell like they were able to just do a lot of rhythmic relaxation based stuff and really produce like, you know, the relaxation. And maybe some folks were like dramming their elbows and I'm more to the, to the, you know, the prior person who I'm more of a, like, relax me. I don't want to be elbows jammed into me. I want to be, you know, drooling on the table, relax. But that's kind of, I would argue the skill of hands-on care is being able to apply hands-on techniques in a way that the patient generates a positive response to it. And if you're a bull in the China shop, like I used to be earlier in my career, I probably shared this with y'all, but I was that lab partner you didn't want in DPT school because I was pretty aggressive. I was trying to push and I thought we were just mashing people like cars and we were just realigning stuff. And I felt, well, I got to push and crank to do that. Now, you know, it's obviously much different. And so when I engage a painful area of a patient, it's just, I'm trying to communicate dancing with their defense system is the way I look at it. You're trying to see if you can have them lower the defenses, open up a window. I know people hate that word, but for movement. And again, manual therapy, we position it as, hey, we're going to decrease the sensitivity. Then I'm going to teach you some movements and things to decrease the sensitivity. So eventually you don't even need me to touch or nudge on this thing. Um, so that that's kind of the, I guess, when we find that person's pain, how we can approach it, nudge on it and see um, if there's some opportunity to, to decrease some of the sensitivity with what we know hands-on care can do condition pain modulation, some of the mechanisms that um, can reduce pain at an area, improve movement in an area. Let's not get excited about it. We know it's a short-term thing, move people off beds, get them back into, you know, movements that are valued in their life. Um, and that's, I think, a, a respectable evidence-based uh, person-centered way of getting after it. The, the last thing I wanted to kind of leave you guys with um, is, well, let's talk about some examples of specific spinal pain um, where, cause it does happen crazily or not. I know, you know, 90, 80% of uh, back pain, especially chronic low back pain is nonspecific. 
And so it's kind of a crapshoot what the hell's going on there. But there are times where we might have, for instance, have a gentleman right now who's got uh, pain that, you know, kind of left side, low back comes into the pocket area of his left hip and then wraps around his anterior thigh to the medial knee. And, you know, what does that look like if we look at our pain referral patterns and, you know, dermatome, myotome, that looks like L3. Um, so is, and he drew, I was like, you know, that those are the fun ones. Cause I think, gosh, that really raises some suspicion. What's going on up there. Obviously there was hip versus back. We did a good hip screen, did back screen, but we happened to find areas all around that L3 nerve root that were just really, when we did UPA CPA testing, um, did not like it hip kind of positive femoral nerve tension testing that was reproducing pain. Um, spinal movement really was able to recreate his pain closing like left side bending extension. Um, reproduced his pain and hip screen was pretty negative. You know, he was able to scour Fabers and all that stuff. Fabers was a little sensitive, um, with, but it wasn't recreating familiar pain. He was a little stiff, both hips, but none of the testing in his left hip really did any significant. There wasn't any major asymmetries and it didn't really significantly recreate pain. So, um, what can I do here? Uh, would I just like, ah, just lets me just, I'm gonna go wiggle out L5. Why wouldn't I, in that case, it, the, the lineup, you know, I'm finding things at the L3 nerve root area around his spine Whether I do UPS just, and what did I find? I wasn't stressing about, oh my God, there's two millimeters versus four over here. No, what I did is I, CPAs, UPAs, definitely CPAs. Oh ugh, ugh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sore, you know, really bothersome there. Um, UPAs on the right, it's a little tight and stuff, but man, when I was on the left side around the L3 uh, nerve root area, oof, you know, just, you know, very painful locally, didn't recreate symptoms. And that's what we would call a comparable sign in an appropriate structure where yes, it didn't recreate symptoms, but man, if there is some issues there, it sure would make sense. It, it has the capacity to refer and radiate pain in whose affected areas. So that's where some clinicians and students and mentees, you know, if it doesn't recreate pain, it's not important. Well, it may not be, but let's test it and let's see. But again, why wouldn't I go specifically? And again, we know many therapy. I can't be like perfectly isolating movements to the L3, but I'm going to try to be in the area. Like I'm going to try to, and, and my thought there is, okay, do we have some sort of sensitivity load closing type forces at that area that are recreating familiar pain? That was my going hypothesis. So I tested it by laying them on his right side, tried to kind of position that flexion and opening at that L3 nerve root area, rotated him to it. And I tried to stretch at that area. I'm not really stressing about how perfectly it's staying just at that one segment. I think that's a worthless, uh, fruitless pursuit. Um, and we did some mobilizations and spent some good time there. We did some soft tissue work just to kind of, as D Diane Jacobs talks about, yes, deception, where you're just trying to get people to just relax, feel like some good, nice input into that area, you know, get things to where maybe it's primed to have a better response to your manual therapy. And we did some graded mobilizations, um, rechecked his asterisk signs of side bending, you know, and things. And he no longer had pain in side bending. His functional asterisks are things that we were looking at. Standing baseline pain and walking pain significantly improved. Um, so we gave him that. We had him do right side lying self-rotation, gapping mobilization. We did some seated repeated flexions because those also we tested test, retest, and found some positive responses. But again, that was a specific, I tried to be specifically at that level. Um, so there's times where if you have a clinical presentation that shows there might be something specifically happening at a specific area, why wouldn't you not try to get to the area? Again, if you have somebody who comes in the clinic where, oh God, I have this pain in the you know, right side of my neck, it goes in my shoulder, lateral elbow, and thumb. That should kind of raise 
you know, your, your, your clinical antennas to say, man, C6, what the hell's going on there? Um, and you check and oof, man, if you find some things there, we don't know if it's help, if it's affecting or not, but if you do some things at C6, um, you know, C5, 6, 6, 7, and lo and behold, some of the comparable signs in their arm are getting better and they're, they're, maybe it's a, you know, a range of motion at the shoulder or who knows what it is. That's the, the asterisk signs for that patient. And you do something to the neck and it changes stuff in the arm. Then you've made a, dis, you've validated that in that clinical scenario, that was helpful. Now, again, what did I do? Did I, did we realign things? No, probably not. Did we produce a pain change, you know, modified the pain experience through passive movement at the spine? Yeah. And, you know, do we need to get excited about it like that? Should be the only thing we do with somebody in treatment. I hope not, because we know that that's limited as far as its ability to do something long term. And you should, how do we phrase that to a patient? Hey, Mr. Smith, I'd like to see if we can do some things where I stretch and get you moving a little bit to see if we can help decrease some pain and improve some movement at this area and then teach you some exercise. You know, the thing with hands-on stuff is it tends to be a short-term thing, and especially if patients are coming into you and saying that, yeah, it's only been a short-term thing for the last 20 years of my Cairo osteo or physio who've been doing it. And then I come back every week or two weeks with the same problem coming in again. Um, you, you, t- you phrase it to, Hey, I'm going to teach you some movements because this stuff does tend to be short-term, especially with what you've told me with what's been going on with your other physio or, or doctor or whoever. Um, so I'd like to teach you some movements and, you know, eventually would you prefer to where the only way you could get pain relief is if I do some things to you, or would you prefer to be able to do some things that you can do at home and, and actively keep yourself under, uh, you know, your pain controlled and get you moving well without the need to have to come in here. Not that I don't mind coming or having you come and hang out with me, but I'm I'm sure you'd prefer not to have to go to physical therapy the rest of your life. Is Does it sound like that's something you would be okay with? And I haven't really had any patients. No, I'd prefer to just come in here and not have to do anything. I mean, there's definitely some discussions of people who have less zest to do, to, to actively move in different things. But um, it's, that's when you create clinical scenarios where they show you show them that they can create pain changes with whether it be repeated movement techniques or different things like that, where you didn't touch them with your hands, yet you show them that they can improve and achieve the same pain responses with active movement type interventions. So that is what I think really, if I was to lay out some of a case for specific manual therapy, and again, I am been the probably one of the harshest, I don't want to say harshest critics, but one of the bigger critics of manual therapy, especially traditional manual therapy, where we're getting, you know, overly interested on, and I was very big on like osteopathic type stuff. A lot of that stuff, I think we were mistaking, um, defensive human behaviors around painful areas as some sort of defective alignment thing, which, um, I think research affects it's or would support that it's more a defense versus a defect type thing. Um, but you know, the interesting thing with all these techniques of specific manual therapy, we all tend to end up in the same area, title it something that shows the patient that we found something wrong and we do something to improve it. We improve movement at that area, whether it be an MET technique, whether it be some PRI technique, or I don't know what it might be, but, and, and people tend to get better anyway. Um, if we can just, you know, keep them out of, you know, invasive interventions, but again, there might be some value to some specific interventions at the area of pain to help modulate a pain experience most effectively. Again, when you're on somebody's pain and they associate you being on it, or they have a clinical condition where there uh, are clear signs that there's a specific area of involvement, whether it be a nerve root or whatever it may be. 
So hopefully that was value to you. Um, one thing I want to just run by you guys is just keep an eye out on Modern Pain Care uh, on the website and on our social media. We got an exciting program Jared and I are putting together. We've kind of been soliciting if you've been listening to or watching our social media feeds where really, I've been, we've been speaking to a lot of uh, clinicians. We're designing probably one of the our pretty much signature program of really immersing people into clinical reasoning, critical thinking, getting people off this feeling that they're on an island and they don't have anybody to talk to about treating more up-to-date ways of doing it. Um, seeing uh, Jared and I apply it to real patients. We're going to probably have some real patient um, abilities to, to watch us treat. Um, we're going to have, you know, some quarterly abilities to, to join Jared and I, um, whether it be live or virtual. Um, we're going to have weekly abilities to, to dissect your practice and in a good way and talk about what's going on and what problems you're having and, and get you the, the help you need. Uh, we'll be instructing on techniques and demystifying some of the ridiculous overcomplicate complications that have been going on in manual therapy. I mean, we're going to have a great community of, of, of clinicians. If you want to join a community of folks that are dedicated to doing this thing um, and really up in your, your game, position yourself to be, um, you know, an expert in your area, in your community, and most importantly, help start changing the way that we treat pain um, across your clinic and across your communities. I think the more we can send people out and, and better improve understanding and treatment of pain, the, the better our world's going to be around pain care. So if you're interested, definitely reach out to Jared or I, um, and we can definitely have some discussion that's going to probably be, you know, announced here in January, February at the latest. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have some discussions and see if it's a good fit for you. If it's not, that's cool too. Um, we'll still be pumping out content to hopefully help you in your practice. Um, definitely don't hesitate to reach out to us as well. If you have any technique or uh, topics or anything that you'd like to hear us discuss, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you had enjoyed hearing my voice just drone on for a good uh, 20 minutes, but, um, really appreciate you guys listening. Hope to see you guys next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.